All right. Let them adjust my sound. Okay. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, today we'll be talking about vulnerability, which is a fresh topic. We'll see if it lasts one week or might have to dip into two weeks, possibly. Um, there's a chance that we, we dip into that. Um, so for opening discussion, those questions are kind of tiny, so I'll read them out. What do we think about vulnerability? This is a super general question, just to get us started to thinking. What are words that we think of when, when vulnerability is said? Risk. Risk. Scary. Scary. Openness. Openness. As it everybody needs it, we need we need a little vulnerability, and and we'll try to discuss why hopefully tonight. Okay, uh, the fact that we labeled scary and and risk uh, makes it seem like it is in fact challenging for us, which is my next question. So is it challenging for us? I think most of us would agree that it is challenging to be vulnerable. Um, there are circumstances where it becomes easy, but that's uh, once a relationship is built, mainly. Um, why is it challenging? Sick can be physically vulnerable, but then if you're like dealing with a weakness or a problem, and if that kind of thing is laid bare, you're very susceptible, right? You're very vulnerable in that moment. And that's not easy to face. It's, it's really, it's hard to face because it can be very scary. But that, that fear is, I, I think it's something that we probably manufacture due to a lack of, of faith in some respect. In my experience, the opportunities to be vulnerable and people taking advantage of it. And that lesson is what makes us not drop our guard to be vulnerable. It's just, part of it's just experience, life experience. That there's opportunity for us to grow and be better when we admit that we have weaknesses, but then there's also, sometimes people can take advantage of that. Um, people, people know, oh, Grant has a soft spot for this. And, you know, it, it, these are things that become fears out of reality. Um, and now I'd like to ask, what are the benefits of being vulnerable? Right, it, it, it can lead to tremendous growth. When, when you admit your weakness in some way, you can then work on it. Right? It's no longer this mysterious thing. Sure. Um, I think it's James, I'm not sure exactly what book, but it says, confess your sins one another that you may be healed. So mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even physically healed may be a, a positive of being open. But, you know, being too open is also a bad thing because we're still human and there's reality, you know, in my opinion. Sure. You can help other people that have the same issue, if, 
between you and that can't come until you're one of you is vulnerable vulnerable enough to admit um, what are the costs of hiding our weaknesses this is kind of the converse statement separate you from people if you have no weaknesses and you won't talk to people about it then people deep down inside they, they don't feel like they can do the same thing and friendships and trust are based on, on that setting, if I don't immediately, if I don't start out with, hey, this is what drugs and alcohol did to me, this is this devastating weakness and its action in my life, they won't open up at all. They won't trust me in any way, right? They're just, the door is shut. I think in part, if we hide issues from ourselves, Right, I mean, hide, hiding from others can also lead to hiding from ourselves. Um, problems become non-problems when we don't admit them. We treat them as just parts of life instead of something that we have a weakness towards. Uh, and that, that could be many things. Uh, just sins in general or uh, just maybe skill weaknesses. That if we, if we treat them like, oh, I'm not weak at this, well, suddenly that's going to bite us in the the tail, when we, when we try to meet a standard that we can't reach. And then I've also got, what are the costs of pride? I think this is a related question. What, what can pride cost us? Well, it can cost you friendship. It can cost you closeness. It, it can hurt you in the church. Uh, Sometimes everybody thinks, oh, that person has a perfect life, everything's good, and then something comes up and they're like, well, I went through it, and like John said, this, this, and this, and suddenly you become close, and all of my closest friendships have gone through a time like that in order for that friendship to take me more than an acquaintance. A prideful church can't grow. A prideful church can't overcome sins and faults. Um, I think also pride, you know, related to hiding weaknesses, prevents us from recognizing what we're not good at. And if we, if we can't recognize that, then, then we might as well be perfect, and we know that that's not the case. Okay, let's move forward. So next I'd like to talk about James, since we just came from James for the past however long. Um, I, I'll just read these passages uh, starting in James 1 verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in, in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, but steadfastness have its full effect. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generosity, or sorry, gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now James 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power 
as it is working. Okay, so how do these verses approach the topic of vulnerability, if at all? John said that unless he puts himself out there first and says, I had troubles and problems, uh, other people are not going to open up to him. And it's that way with ministers. If ministers aren't honest to say, I, I, I can, I've made mistakes and some of them have been pretty big. And if they're not open and you try to act perfect, you're, you're done. something that I, I recognize in the right near the end of the section in, in chapter one, at least what I've got up is, uh, if any of you lacks this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Um, while it's only applied to wisdom in this circumstance, I think it's clear that certain fruits of the Spirit or you know certain elements of the fruit of the Spirit, if we're lacking in those, we know that we should ask for them. Uh, we know that we should seek after them. Um, and, and that until we ask, God's not going to provide. Um, and that, that might be, that's not an always. That's not an always. I, I don't want to cast that out as you can't, you can't do any better if you're not asking for God, you know, asking from God. But, but I think certainly if you're asking for these, there, there is that opportunity to gain and to grow. Um, what are things that came up when we discussed these verses uh, the past couple weeks? If, if any of you remember some of that stuff. Especially the, the chapter 5, which was just a week ago. To do it, and it's hard to find somebody who is. It's hard. It's hard to be righteous, um, and it's also hard to confess your sins. It's easy to want to hold those in because you're embarrassed and, and guilty. Um, but guilt, guilt that freezes you doesn't help as much as guilt that activates you and pushes you forward. Anything else uh, about these verses that we remember from our study of James that might be relevant? Okay. It's important that we watch what we say when people <coughs> begin to share things. They don't share big things. They share little things. And if if we come off or even talk about somebody else that has this problem, a small problem, if we come off negatively about it in, in the words that we say, then they're not going to share that or anything that most people would consider a bigger sin. Sure. 
the way that we receive someone's vulnerability is just as important as the vulnerability itself. Um, and we'll, we'll try to get into that today, um, just how to, how to approach loving one another and accepting, um, I guess, their, their braveness. Uh, but also, you know, how, how to take that and move forward. Uh, it can't just stop at confessing. And we, we, we recognize that. There's many times where it says confess and then repent and then, and then go on, right? And, and so we, we recognize that there are more steps than just confession. Um, let's move forward. So now this is going into 2 Corinthians. A uh, few passages. I'll start with 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 through 13. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. So I'll stop there and say, what does it mean to widen your heart? To be open to anything. Anything. Accepting. We have, to, we have to welcome both the pain uh, that it comes with weaknesses, but also the, the love and support. Uh, when, when we see hardened hearts throughout the Bible, they're not accepting of either. They're going to they're gonna do what they know to do, and that's it. It's all them. The rest of the world is cut off to them. But, a, but an open heart, a widened heart, has, a, a, I guess, a wider view of the rest of the world. It's kind of like, like a camera's aperture. Yeah. The right above it, it says, don't be restricted. You're restricted in your own affections. It's easy to love the people closest to you. It's easy to love those you have to love or the ones you've got long-term relationship. Making that reach out, care for the person who is in the worst shape. Like you said, the church itself can't grow if it's just if it's a country club. We're not doing anything. We have to reach out for the person who needs Christ, the person who needs that love, needs that mercy, worst of all or most of all. And to do that, you need to widen your heart. Okay. Let's read the chapter twelve passage. But he said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Therefore I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How can we be content with weaknesses? That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem natural. Anytime that I'm not really good at something, I am less likely to want to do that. That's, that's a personal statement, but for the most part, the things that I involve myself with are things that I know that I'm good at. Um, and I think that can extend to most of us. There are things that, uh, when we talk about the jobs, 
They typically end up being things that we are at least good at or enjoy. Um, so being content in weakness seems a little off. What? Anything to start with that? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure I'm looking at it right, but when I look at it here, in the context with Paul is whatever the thorn was in his side. We don't know what it was. Eyesight could be, maybe, I don't know. But it was a barrier from his perspective. And those other things there would be barriers being, to being effective. And Paul says, well, when I recognize those barriers are there, if God helps me overcome those barriers, I'm okay with the barriers. Because God, because then I understand God is working through me, and it's not just me. Yeah, I think that weakness, it doesn't mean impossible. Um, that's, you know, so these things that may, may look like, oh, we can't do it. Sure, not on, not on our own. Um, but when I am weak through Christ, then I am strong. Um, that's a, a very important last phrase at the end. Weaknesses keep us humble. Sure. Um, with, without them, I think it's hard, it's hard to relate. And that, that's a confusing thing because I don't know if that, you know, if, if we just said, oh, only the you know, to take away weakness is something that I don't understand. But if we did, would it only be the church that was without weakness? And that, you know, there's a barrier between us and the rest of the world? Or is it, if everybody's without weakness, then who's going to want to say that we need Jesus? You know, either way, this weakness is needed. In a, in a you know, something that's very confusing to us, something that we don't like, you know, being weak, it seems definitely to be necessary in either case. So one thing that... <clears throat> Weakness taught me, and this is one of the sins I committed was when I was young and, and very healthy, uh, this one woman used to have all these ailments, and nobody could figure out what they was, not even doctors. And I used to say she was a hypochondriac. Well, when I got in my 30s, I started dealing with something too, and nobody could figure out what it was. And it really humbled me, and I never again you know, looked at somebody saying that and been like, you know what, you're just lying. Because it turned out to be it was allergies what I was dealing with, but I learned not to do that. And it took it took that that weakness in order for me to do that. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't humble. I was prideful. I thought I was better. Sure. There's a with a change in position. Can we start to relate to others and start to give them more respect too? Um, until until we stumble, there's a lot of people that we might try to count out. Um, you know, we know that's wrong, but there are times where we count people out. We count out criminals, right? That they, they're, they're clearly wrong to us, but until we've been there, we don't know how to count them out, right? Because we, we don't know the circumstances under which something happened. We don't know how much change has happened in their heart. Um, and I think Experience can lead to you know helping with that, but also just being being vulnerable to the fact that you know God has grace. Uh, 
I, I think I've kind of bounced everywhere. My head's a little jumbled. Mark? It's easy to become attached to things we like about ourselves or what we like about other people and ignore those other parts that we don't like about them. So you get stuck in these images that aren't exactly true, these images of what we like about ourselves or what we like about other people. But how do you actually move forward if that's not the truth? That's a fair point. Um, if, we, if we try to live in an idealized world, there's not, you know, we're not going to seek growth. Um, I've got another question here. Uh, how are our weaknesses separate from our sins? How do, how do we necessarily treat those different? Because I don't think Paul is saying we should be content in sin. Right? Those are, that's not the same. You don't necessarily have control over and sin is something that you do. A weakness might be the potential to be tempted, but sin, sin is that uh, fulfillment of choice. Okay. Um, anyone else about you know, the distinction between weakness and sin? Or, or, you know, either any of the other ones on the on the list that Paul provides: insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. You alluded to this, uh, earlier what you said that the hardships, the persecutions, the calamities. He talks about other places about fire, and that creates purity. In other words, it, it separates the good what you want, which would be some valuable metal, from the slack. In this particular case, it produces tolerance. It produces someone who's a stronger Christian if they are don't give in to the persecution and the weak and the hardships. So it, it makes you stronger, just like anything else that makes you stronger. To challenge you with it and with God, you overcome it. You become stronger. Yeah, sin. does not necessarily make us stronger. Getting past it does. Getting past temptation does make us stronger. Um, we can see growth in our lives when we are no longer affected by the things that we once were. But sin itself, that, that stumbling, never really positively impacts us the same way that a time of hardship might. Um, and, and both are... It's out of response, right? The response is what brings the good, not the event itself. Um, and that usually re relies on a God perspective, an eternal perspective, to get through something that's hard, to get past sin. Anything else before I move to the next slide? John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
and in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. These passages might seem a little off the beaten path, um, especially the one that's just main, I would say mainly about patience in Luke 6. And that's a, you know, I guess maybe debatable. Uh, but, I, but I see that a lot in it's just patience and dealing with people's sin. But how, how does our support, our love, our patience help? How does it help others? How does it help maybe people to admit their weaknesses? Um, if, we, if we put up with them, how does that lead them to eventually come to us? Sure, I, I should. Um, we'll start with how does our, our support and love help? Let's start there. We are nothing. If I know somebody truly loves me, in other words, they love me because of who I am, words and all, I'm going to be more open to that person. But if I don't think that person loves me, no way. And, go ahead. John 13 and a lot of other passages in John really talk, talking about Jesus sent, was sending his disciples and us to represent him. In other words, the people that we're interacting with we may be the only opportunity they they have for a long time to, to see how God would react to them. We want to react to them the way Jesus would react to them in the same circumstance. So he's saying, love as I have loved you. Love them as God has loved us, but also I think We're showing them that, I want to word this correctly. We're showing them how God handles our sins when we, when we have patience with them. Um, and when we give them grace. But it also comes down to Blessing them back, right? We've got to we've got to give them a reason to change, if that makes sense. Uh, the same way that God gives us a reason to change. Um, and I've got in parentheses up there: How does our support and love help people to admit their weaknesses? I I think Chuck spoke on that a little bit, um, just that. 
I'm going to be more comfortable opening up to someone that I know loves me. Is there anything else somebody might want to say on that subject? I've watched people have their entire lives turn around due to love and support. And I've also seen the opposite, where an unkind word, unkind word or action drives someone to actions that cause their demise. Um, and it, it also, and it, I think it bears mentioning, it doesn't just help the other person when we give love and support. Ephesians 2.10 says we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're literally living out the purpose of our creation when we help another person. And that, that can't have anything but a good effect on us. John 13 also says that we're fulfilling our purpose by doing such. Um, and so I hate to just give the answer. There's nothing but good reason to go do that, um, especially when that's challenging. Because um, sin hurts. Sin hurts a lot of people outside of just, you know, the individual. Um, it, and it hurts sometimes to watch someone struggle when you cannot make choices for them. Um, you, you want to guide them, but you can't, can't always just force them to do anything. You can't. That's not how, not how the world works. Um, not to tell someone else's story, but getting to hear about Taylor's experience with foster care has taught me a lot about love um, because there are children that are hard to love. There are children that have experienced abuse through sin, right? That sin has so far given them no love. And so when they get that for the first time, they almost reject it or act out. Um, and, but I've also seen examples of those kids starting to accept it. Uh, Taylor has certainly given a good home to quite a few, I think 20 now, children over the course of a few years, which is uh, wonderful. That's a, a different discussion, foster, foster care. Um, but the, the accepting people where they are, but also encouraging them to find love is a, is a huge theme. I hope that was connected. I think I'm very disjoint tonight. Okay. So now Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God has love for us through our limitations and our failures. Do we have to admit our weaknesses to accept that love? Or to even receive it, sorry. To receive that love. To get close to the person? 
I don't see another way than admit it. I have strong points and I have weak points and they can help your life because they're in the same boat I am. They've got strong points, they've got weak points. Sorry, I mean, uh, just in, in respect to God, uh, like it says that God will strengthen us and help us and uphold us. Do we have to admit that we are small to get to that point, to, to, to receive his love and support? That's one reason why we have parables that show us if today you're rich and you have money and you can pay for your doctors and you can pay for everything, you don't need God. You don't have anything, you have no limitations. But if you're not in that position, you have a need for God somewhere in your life. And it's those limitations and the failures that, that make you actually realize just how much God is needed in your life, and God wants you to know that. Yeah. yeah. I think we all need Him much more than we realize. <laughs> but it's, it's not until you, you face a, a weakness or a challenge that forces you to depend on Him for the answer, the help, the support, you you rec you can recognize that you can't do it any other way. You're, you're not going to make it without him getting through this. And you, you can't have that kind of strength that he's given you until you do recognize that. It's challenging to have a refocus towards God in a high point. So you, when life is smooth, we think we did it some of the time. At least I do. I, I get that way. But when things are wrong, we realize, oh, God, please help me. God, 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 please help me. Um, and so to keep that with us, to keep the vulnerability and recognize that we are weak and we are small compared to him, it is beneficial. Did I see a hand somewhere? Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the whole book of Job is about really his, his perspective he had. He's a righteous man, but he... When he, when he went to God, it wasn't like, God, can you tell me why, why I'm... No, it was like, God, you just tell me why I'm, I'm being persecuted so much. And it was, he, he didn't have the right perspective. And then God kind of explained it to him in about three chapters. And, and he said, oh, okay, 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 I got it, I got it. I'm, I'm insignificant compared to you. Um, but it, 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 it helps you understand just how much of a loving God he is that he listens to you. You know, when you're compared to him so insignificant and he listens to me. It sets him apart, especially from the false gods. Um, the, ones, the ones that we can get attracted to, they don't listen. It's all, it's all us given, given to the false gods. Um, we might receive gratification but 
there's, there's not a, a listening feedback relationship with any, with any other God. Um, okay. Let's move forward. So now I'll read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 10. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus was vulnerable throughout his entire life on earth. He was tempted in every way we are. That's Hebrews. Um, we, we see that he didn't choose the invulnerable life. He didn't come to just come, die, all forgiven. He, he truly experienced the weakness, the temptation, the suffering, and yet without sin lived. Um, but I think that in seeing his vulnerability, we have something to mimic. Is there anything that somebody might want to mention about this passage? Or something that called out to them? As a man, he was tempted by all the things we have. He was, from that standpoint, you might say vulnerable. But he never sinned. Since he understands and he has empathy, empathy, empathy for us, that makes it easier for us to come to him when we have our weaknesses. We know that... Christ isn't the one that judges us. Uh, in, sorry, I want I want to say that as properly as I can. But Christ knows what we've been through, so there shouldn't be a fear that He's going to look at us like, "Oh, you, you stupid child, why'd you mess up?" Um, that's not. That's not how he, you know, every time we see Jesus interact with children, it's lovingly. And to him, we are children. So, hopefully that encourages us to be more open in this communication, man to God. Okay. Somebody like Zacchaeus. Who uh, was considered low blows since he was a tax collector and all that, and you know, he went out of his way to to spend time with him. Not not only Jewish tax collectors, but anybody who needed his help. 
he would be there, whether it was Jew, Gentile, one who was trying to live right, one who wasn't trying to live right. Jesus would take time for them. His, his forgiveness did not sort when he died. We've got a whole, a whole life of him accepting people that are weak, accepting people that don't think very highly of themselves, probably. Um, the, the woman that just touches his robe clearly thinks that she's not worthy to you know, talk with him. She thinks that, I mean, it's, it's part, partly that she thinks it'll be enough to just touch him, but all, you know, faith there, but also that she doesn't think that I should bother Jesus and ask him to heal me. Uh, there, there's a lot said there, and yet Jesus heals. Jesus forgives. Um, and so to see us, also sinners, we should know that he will love us. Okay. Let's move forward to Matthew chapter 26, 36 to 46. That printed a lot. Smaller than I wished, I should have chopped it up. But that, that is my fault. I will read it aloud. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And talking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus is pretty vulnerable in this moment to admit that he is sorrowful. Uh, he could have taken the position that God has no emotion. To really seem, uh, uh, you know, to just come off as unafraid of death, higher than the disciples. And yet, to his friends, the disciples, he admits his pain. It admits the need for them to watch over him. Is there anything that you all have to, to pull out of that? Oh, it must have been when he came back and found the disciples asleep when he had asked them to pray with him and they knew what he was struggling with. And that relates, I think, well to what you're talking about, that 
when we have somebody that we know is struggling and we apparently don't care, we won't spend an hour praying about it or listening or whatever. Yeah, we're, we are called to you know, give what we can, especially, especially when someone has started to be vulnerable with us. When they show that you, they have need, you better meet it. If you have the ability to meet it, you should meet it. It, it would be you know, sinful to do, to do otherwise. To, to have the ability to meet someone's need and not do it. So I was looking at this and it brought some scriptures to my mind about Paul. Is, uh, Paul was in this same boat where everyone deserted him. I think it was in Acts or one of the epistles where he talked about it, but he said the Lord stood at his side through the, through the trial. And so while the apostles and really me, you know, had fell asleep while he needed me the most, Jesus stood at Paul's side and even our side where we go through our darkest moments. He, he does what he asked us to do. The coin. I'm flipping it on her, so this could be bad. <laughs> I don't think he put the, the, the disciples believed what he was telling them. I mean, they've seen him do marvelous things. Walk on water that was going to swamp a fisherman's boat. Uh, he's done things, and they're just in awe of him. So I don't think they really believed that he wasn't going to handle this. I think... So far, he's shown no fear. Um, there, there are many times that the Sanhedrin had come after him already, and he had escaped just fine. And so this was no other worry. But And, and there's times where we hear someone crying out for help, but it sounds like, man, I'm really struggling right now. And it's like, I'm praying for you. And that's, that's the end of the conversation. It could be that way. But we have to pick up on those, on those words. We, we have to trust someone at their, at their face value, um, even when it's a small, small signal. Um, so let's go to some of the last questions. How does the vulnerability of Jesus Christ encourage us to do the same? We're supposed to pattern our own behavior after his. Sure. And so, part of that is admitting times of strong emotion, emotional weakness. Part of that is I guess admitting need from others, need of support. What else? Jesus' real vulnerability as a man was was death. I mean, that's, that's the, the one thing that he had. That's his vulnerability. But in some doing that, that's where our forgiveness comes. So we have encourages us to, I mean, he gave his life for us. And that's our encouragement to give our lives. 
not just throw down a couple dollars or, like you say, I'll pray for you and maybe never even do that. Or, you know, I, I wish things were better and you move on. It's giving your life like he gave his life for us. He, in that moment, he chose God's will over his own fear. He, he chose to expose his weakness, the, the fact that he was mad and could die, so that we could have grace and forgiveness. Um, a life for a life, or a life for many lives, shouldn't be taken lightly. Um, his vulnerability gives us the opportunity to be vulnerable with others. It gives us life to do so. It gave them great motivation, too. I mean, the very disciples ended up writing the Gospels. They wrote it about themselves, of how they had missed <laughs> what, he was, what he was really saying when he was saying it. But, you know, after Pentecost, that all changed. They were super motivated by what he had done and what they finally realized that he had done to, to go spread it. Yeah. They expose vulnerability by saying, hey, I'm, I'm a disciple, I'm not perfect. We see the disciples make mistakes quite a bit. Um, most, <laughs> most of the time when we see a passage that involves a disciple, it's them misunderstanding something, um, saying something that's a little whack. Uh, you know, can I, can I sit at your right hand, Jesus? Or, you know, Peter walking on water but then stumbling, losing faith. We see a lot of this. Um, but they, they made sure that those elements were put in to the Gospels. Now, that's, that's important. Um, but we also see them turn around in Acts um, and, and further on establish the church. I put this question, and this might be in the wrong order, but how is he vulnerable? I think Dad answered that well. Is there any, anybody else that wants to add to how is Jesus vulnerable? Oh, go ahead. In that he was dependent upon these apostles and disciples to carry on after his death. And he prayed a lot about that to his father to give him the strength. And he gave them a heads up in spite of the fact they fell asleep. You know, pay attention to what's happening because we know Peter was going to deny him. They were all going to run away. And he wanted, he exposed his vulnerability then and let them know in retrospect when they looked back that he was dependent on them and God was dependent on that to happen. That's a Jesus could have let his ministry go on for 10 years instead of three and, and really, really got a big following before before accepting death. But he chose to do basically three years of ministry. Um, and this is, you know, speculation or whatever, but he was vulnerable in trusting that man could carry on the will of God. That's a, I feel weird saying that, but that, that's what it is. Mike? There, there were times he prayed all night. That, that's not somebody who isn't dealing with stuff. Uh, when you pray all night, it's kind of serious. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
I don't think I have... I don't think I've done that yet. I don't think I've reached a moment where I've had to pray all night. But I, I definitely could imagine, you know, how, how serious it would be, how intense of an emotional event that would have to be to, to lead to that. Um, and that requires a lot of faith. Um, and it requires a lot of vulnerability to say that things aren't going right and there's nothing I can do except pray. I think this is our last question of the night. Christ is our pattern. That's from Hebrews. What should we emulate in the aspect of vulnerability? It takes real honesty to be vulnerable. It's real deadly honesty. And he was really, really honest when he said, man, if there's any other way, can we do this some other way? Like, come on, man. Like he, he was asking, right? He, he, and that freely giving of oneself in the interest of others at one's own expense is, is a really vulnerable place to be, but it's also, it's high risk, high reward, right? Um, I guess that's it. Thanks. no one else, then I'll tell a story. The past couple semesters at school, we've done accountability groups. And that's been highly beneficial um, to, to sit down and confess to one another, but also work through ways to grow. At first, we got to the confession part, and each week felt about the same. And that wasn't getting us anywhere. And at, you can be vulnerable and say, I've got a problem. I've got this temptation in my life that I am giving into over and over again. But to stop there isn't helpful. Um, and so I, I challenge you to be vulnerable, but seek a plan to fix that weakness. Ask for others' input to help you get past that weakness. Ask for their accountability to make sure that you are improving. Um, attempting to overcome things on your own doesn't get you anywhere most of the time. In fact, when it comes to sexual temptation, we're told to flee from it. Uh, that, you know, that realm of temptation specifically, we're told to flee. And so relying on others is is highly important. That's why we have the body. So I call you guys to rely on one another. Um, find, find a group of people that you can trust enough to expose your weaknesses, your soft side, and, and truly grow. Thank you guys for coming.